and per- This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. One of the most famous comments, comments in history is Haley's Comet. Haley's Comet. And it reoccurs about once every 70-some years, so you might just have an opportunity to see it again in your lifetime. Early in July 2020, people were getting amazing shots of a comet called C-2020, that is Comet 2020. It wasn't a great comet, but it was a pretty good one. And the last two great comets which were called McNaught in 2007 and Lovejoy in 2011, were mainly seen under southern hemispheric skies. Not since the Hale-Bopp comet in 1996-97 has the northern hemisphere seen a magnificent comet. In fact, what's more, some stargazers wouldn't even classify Hale-Bopp as a great comet. We in the northern hemisphere might have to look all the way back to Comet West, In 1976, the bicentennial year of America, 44 years ago, well, more than that now, to find a truly great, great comet. So when will we see the next one? When will we see the next comet? And why might it be significant? We're going to talk about that here today on Viewpoint. I'm glad that you joined us. This conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms our special guest, Today, the author of the book, The High Sign, for some reason has not made contact with us, and we've been unable to make contact with him, so I'm concerned that perhaps he got carried away on the tail of a comet. Well, under the stars and comet, Hale-Bopp in 1997 remained visible to the unaided eye for 18 months. So how do you define a great comet? Well, there's no official definition, but the label great comet stems from some combination of a comet's brightness and longevity and its breadth across the sky. Major comets would have been visible long enough for Earth's citizenry to take notice. That is a comment, that is an observation, that is a truth, perhaps that we should take heed to today. Major comments would have, comments would have been visible long enough for Earth's citizenry to take notice. The years 1996-1997 were all about Hale-Bopp for Comet fans. It was a fixture in the western sky and would have become one of the most viewed comments, uh, comets in history. In fact, It was a major comet, but was it a great comet? Well, it depends on your viewpoint. And viewpoint always determines destiny. And it would seem that the North, though, is statistically ready to receive its next great comet. Bottom line, the Southern Hemisphere has had two great comets in this century, McNaught in 2007, Lovejoy in 2011, 
But what about the Northern Hemisphere? Our last widely seen comet was Haley Bopp in 1996-97. Comet West, Comet West in 1976 was probably our last great comet. And so, according to a special commentary on comets, we're due for another one. We're due for another one, but when should it be expected, and why might it be expected? Well, that is the focus of our putative guess book, The High Sign. I say our putative guess because for some reason he has not seen... uh, or remembered to make contact with us here today on Viewpoint. So, as sometimes happens, your host will be both guest and host today on the program. Our special guest today, if he were here, would tell you that he has found evidence that 25 major events described in the Bible could be associated with the appearance of comets. He said the first 24 of those 25 events have already happened, and only one of the 25 is yet to occur, which he says and believes would be the return of Christ. Now you begin to see perhaps the significance of why we might talk about this here today on Viewpoint. Now before we go any further, I want to make it clear that nothing that is said here concerning comets, other than just pure scientific facts, should be considered as biblical truth. Sometimes human beings will take scientific facts and try to superimpose them upon biblical truth in order to achieve a full and more complete understanding of biblical truth and its application. That is what our putative guest did with his book, The High Sign. His name was David Heron, and again, for whatever reason, he has not uh, joined us here on the program today, and so yours truly is going to make a uh, heroic attempt to translate for you the heart and soul, purpose, and ultimate impact of his belief that at the end of the age, to introduce the second coming of Jesus Christ will be a magnificent, perhaps unprecedented, comment. He says the theme of the book is a comet that has visited Earth three times and will make a fourth appearance to herald the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now that's a pretty astounding statement. A pretty astounding statement. So what I want to do is uh, go back to the Bible. Everything begins with the Bible, the Word of God, and we want to go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 is what is called the Great Olivet Discourse, where Jesus, two days before his crucifixion, is sitting on the Mount of Olives with his disciples across from the eastern gate of Jerusalem, which is now called the Golden Gate. 
right across from the Temple Mount. And his disciples asked him privately, saying, Tell us, what shall the signs of these things be? What shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? Now, there are many people who have various viewpoints concerning this word, the sign. It doesn't say sign, it says the sign. So what is the sign? That's the subject for our discussion here today on Viewpoint, the sign. Now we know about many signs, but apparently there is the sign. And what will it be? And why does it matter? Right here on Viewpoint. So so glad that you've joined us here today. Hang in there, my friends. The tale of the comet is coming. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Comets, indeed, are fascinating things. They're fascinating because, in reality, we have nothing on the planet that we can relate to that compares to a comet. There is absolutely nothing that humankind, in all of its scientific endeavor, nuclear or otherwise, has any ability to affect a comet. Now, we might be able to affect an asteroid, much smaller. We might be able to send up a nuclear charge to hit an asteroid and perhaps break it apart before it does its dastardly deed by hitting the planet. Or we might hit it with a nuclear charge and uh, somehow deflect its direction so that it would not collide with planet Earth. But we have no such ability with regard to a comet. A comet is something so vast It is beyond, really beyond human comprehension. But why does that matter? Is there any significance to that and the second coming of Jesus Christ? Our our purported guest today, David Herod, with his book, The High Sign, we're going to make it available to you for your gift of $9 to Save America Ministries. I'll just do that right now, $9. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. If you're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling, we'll put the book in your hands. Now, going back to Matthew chapter 24, the disciples asked Jesus two days before his crucifixion when they knew something very, very serious was about to take place. Jesus had been warning them about his a death. They didn't quite comprehend it, couldn't quite face, face it. Even Peter, that very uh, two days from then, uh, there at Gethsemane, he could not face the truth and denied Jesus three times at the high priest's home. Just could not grasp the truth 
for his time. That's like many of us, isn't it? Many of us find it very, very difficult. We know about the second coming of Christ. We know that Jesus was the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. But beyond that, we just find it very difficult to grasp some of the things that the Bible says about Jesus, first about his first coming, then about his second coming, and where you and I fit in the midst of it all. So, Matthew 24 is the go-to chapter for most people and most pastors when they think about the time immediately preceding or shortly preceding, in terms of all history, the second coming of Christ. So Jesus responded to his disciples. The very first thing said, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many are going to come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, and will deceive many. Notice, they're not coming in the name of other gods. They're coming in the name of Christ. That's one of the reasons why it's so deceptive. The closer you get to the real thing, when it's not the real thing, the more likely a person is to be deceived. Jesus was concerned about that. He was concerned about deception. Take heed that no man deceive you. Then he talked about the wars and the rumors of wars that we all know about. But he said, don't be troubled because all these things have to come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and ethnos against ethnos. That is people group against people group. And there are going to be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in many places. But he said, all these are the beginning of sorrows. They're not the end stage. They are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, there's a fairly lengthy period of time, given human lifespan, in which those kinds of things are going to take place and multiply. But he said they're just the beginning of sorrows. Then he goes on to bring it more current for us. He says, they shall deliver you to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, that is happening with ever-increasing regularity, even as we speak. Not just in Muslim nations, not just in communistic nations, but in America and Western Europe. Jesus went on to say, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. This is the spirit of the cancel culture right now, friends. The spirit of hatred, intolerance. Everybody says, I'm offended, I'm offended, I'm offended. Many will be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. The more the talk against hate crimes comes about, the greater the hatred. Have you noticed that? And many false prophets are going to arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity, that is the sin in our nature, shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Do you not see the coldest happening? Do you not see the coldest happening even among professing Christians? But Jesus said, he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. In other words, there's something to be endured. There's a race to be run. 
There is a path to be walked to the end. Not just getting in the starting blocks to run the race, but to finish the race. That's what Jesus was talking about. He that shall endure to the end shall be saved. Then he said, this gospel, good news of the kingdom, shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So some would say, well, that's the sign. That's the sign. The gospel will be preached to all the world, and then shall the end come. Well, certainly, that would seem to be a sign, but is it the sign? That's an interesting question. Now, where do we stand with regard to the gospel being preached to all the world for a witness? We're getting very close. It was about eight, ten years ago that my wife and I were driving back from Orlando and uh, decided to stop over at the world headquarters of the Wycliffe Bible Translators. It was a fascinating experience, and they told us at that time that they were about 25 years away from completing the translation of the Bible into every single language, dialect, no matter how small. But they gave a caveat, and that was that because of the increasing speed of computers, it was quickening the time for them to accomplish the job. Now, that was 8 to 10 years ago. That would have meant there was about 15 years then that would be remaining until they accomplished the job but for the fact that the computer speeds have increased dramatically. Therefore, we could be looking at the fulfillment of that within the next, say, five years. Hmm. Within the next five years. That would be two-thirds the way from now to the year 2030, wouldn't it? The very year when the so-called Great Reset and the New World Order is set to be completed ensconced, ruling over the world. Hmm. Just thinking out loud with you to contextualize some of the things that Jesus has said. He goes on to say, when you shall see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, and pray that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation. Now this is the only place in the Bible that we're told of a great tribulation. There is no other place in the Bible that we are uh, told of a tribulation except in an Olivet Discourse, either in Matthew 24 or Luke 13 or, excuse me, Luke 21 or Mark 13. No mention of a period called the Tribulation. Now, we are told that there is going to be Tribulation. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, which is a form of Tribulation. Tribulation is merely pressure. It comes from the Greek word meaning pressure. So there's going to be pressure increasingly upon the planet, upon you, upon me, upon peoples 
who embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and seek to walk faithfully with him. But that's not the great tribulation. That pressure time of tribulation is more akin to the first few years of the uh, what the period called the terror of the French Revolution. Oh, it's very unpleasant. And there were many people who were losing their heads to Madame Guillotine. The pressure was on as Robespierre was carrying on the French Revolution to get rid of uh, all authority, to get rid of God, to get rid of uh, anyone who really uh, was seen as as a figurehead or a leader who would uh, communicate faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and so on. Get rid of it all. But he just determined that that was not enough. And so about halfway through this horrible period, he decided, that is Robespierre, decided to up the ante. And that period became known as the Great Tribulation. That would be very much akin to the Great Tribulation that Jesus is talking about here, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. He said, except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. In other words, it appears that at least for a portion of that time, Christians will be on the planet. Contrary to popular perception by many. And he says they're going to arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive even the very elect. The very elect. Oh, professing Christians, oh, they're still on the planet and the great tribulation. Hmm. Hmm. Then Jesus went on to say, Behold, I've told you before. If they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, don't go forth. Behold, he's in the secret chambers, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes out of the east and shines even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, how does lightning come? It comes very swiftly, doesn't it? Like a bolt of lightning. Yeah, it comes powerfully and it comes swiftly. No real warning. The thunder comes later. Then Jesus went on to say in Matthew 24, immediately after the tribulation of those days, after the tribulation of those days, after the tribulation of those days, Shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then, all right, listen carefully, then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now, that is Jesus' 
declaration concerning the end times. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Jesus is going to show up. But what is going to inaugurate that coming? That's where our putative guest, David Heron, who was supposed to have joined us here today, perhaps he forgot, that's where he comes in. Because, he says, the high sign may very well be a comet. So we're going to take a look at that. A comet. Why a comet? Could that be true? What you're about to hear is not called gospel truth. It is the ideas of a man. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website saveus.org that's saveus.org also on chuck's website listen to chuck's viewpoint broadcast listen to the archives maybe you missed a program check it out at saveus.org also there are some great resources hospitality information also information about marriage divorce and remarriage newsletters articles prophecy Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. David Heron has done a great deal of research concerning the matter of comets. He's gone back in history. He's looked at biblical history. And he's come to the conclusion that many of the major events in the Bible and the causation for many of those major events was actually a comet. He said, I have found evidence that 25 major events described in the Bible can be associated with the appearance of comets. In fact, he said the first 24 of the 25 events have already happened. And so he says, there's only one of the 25 yet to occur. And I believe he says that that leads us to the return of Christ. So he says the theme of my book is a comet that has visited Earth three times and will make a fourth appearance to herald the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not being presented to you as a biblical truth. There is biblical truth upon which David Heron forms the viewpoint or conclusion based upon his view of science and history, that indeed many of the major events of biblical history were actually brought about by divinely orchestrated comets. The first of those, he says, is the flood. Now, I cannot tell you with certainty that that is in fact the case. 
On the other hand, we do know that something extremely dramatic took place. The Bible describes it as the fountains of the great deep being opened up. It had never rained for over 1,600 years since creation. And something cataclysmic took place on the planet. David Heron has formed the conclusion that the head of a massive comet is what actually struck the earth and broke up the fountains of the deep, pierced through the surface of the earth and caused the very description set forth in the scriptures to take place. Can we confirm that with absolute certainty? No. But it's a fascinating view. It's a fascinating view and perhaps worthy of consideration. But the question is, why would we consider it? What is his purpose in bringing this information or this concept or this viewpoint to us? I'll tell you what it is that you and I, regardless of whether it's a comet or not, better get prepared because Jesus is coming soon. That's the bottom line. We better be prepared because Jesus is coming soon. Soon and very soon we're going to see the king. Whether he comes riding on the back, on the tail of a comet or whether it's just a tail, T-A-L-E, the tail of a comet in that sense We don't know. What we do know is that he is coming. Interestingly, David Heron also has formed the conviction that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah was due to a comet. Let me just uh, describe a little of what he says The Apostle Paul wrote that Sodom was a type of the judgmental event described in chapter 13 of this book that we're talking about that would terminate world history. Turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, God condemned them to destruction, making them an example of those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. So here is a ten-piece summation of the Sodom puzzle segment based upon a comet. The Lord directed a comet into a position from which it would assault Sodom and Gomorrah. The comet ejected incendiary materials, including sodium in sulfurous rock that is identifiable as brimstone. The sodium combined with moisture to create fiery rainfall and touched off a series of explosions on the surface of the Jordan River. A pile of salt falling from the comet buried Lot's wife as she dallied and looked back inquisitively. A large bolide landed directly on Sodom and exploded, blowing away the city and its surrounding area. The explosion left a thousand-foot-deep crater where Sodom, Gomorrah, and a portion of the Jordan River had been. From his home in Hebron, Abram saw the smoke and ashes of Sodom rising into the sky as a mushroom cloud. 
Job's home was so close to Sodom that fiery fallout from the comet killed his sheep and shepherds and caused his skin to blister. A tornado generated by the comet demolished a house, killing all of ten, all ten of Job's children. And the comet caused sore boils to break out on Job's skin, caused by acidic fallout from the comet. Now, it all sounds factual, but in, real, in reality, it's theoretical. This is a theoretical application attempting to explain how many of the major events in the Bible could have taken place through natural or supernaturally caused natural causes, such as a comet. There are so many of these described in his book called The High Sign. It's available to you for $9 to explore what he has said. $9 on our website, saveus.org, the high sign. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. We'll put the book in your hands. I wrote, as a possible title for this program, High Time... High sign, the tail of a comet. Now, it is high time that we prepare. It is high time that we not take Jesus' discussion concerning his coming, his return, casually. That we prepare the way of the Lord in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own families for history's final hour. Most are not doing that. Most are not doing that. As it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said, so it will be just before my second coming. People will be marrying, giving in marriage, eating and drinking, and doing the things that we normally do until suddenly, suddenly, destruction comes upon them. So the message is we should be prepared. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For every mountain shall be, uh, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain shall be made low, and the way of the Lord shall be prepared. That's what God calls us to do, to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight paths for our feet. Now, As we move forward to take a further look at this matter of the comet, in 2006, at the end of a television show aired by the History Channel called Comets, Prophets of Doom, the narrator made this summary statement. NASA has plans to deal with an asteroid, but there is nothing anyone can do about comets. They are too large and show up too suddenly. What would we do if an average-sized comet came at the Earth? We would die, or a lot of us would anyway. Comets can come from any direction. We do not have the technology to defend against a comet. Comets are nature's unstoppable projectiles. So, 
The author of the book says the day of the Lord is a biblical phrase identifying the time of Jesus' second coming and all of the things that will be happening during a cosmic clash between the earth and a comet on that day. Whether it will be between the earth and a comet, I cannot confirm. It is an interesting observation. It is an interesting observation. But the question is, how should you and I then live? As the author of the book says, it is not the purpose of this book to dwell on the distresses of the prophesied tribulation before Jesus' return. It is described by Isaiah and by Jesus himself in a sermon quoted, and we've already read that, Matthew 24, verses 9 to 22. The bad news is that some Christians will suffer. The good news is that those who suffer will do so for the honor of the name of Christ. Early Christians welcomed persecution because they believed that by participating in the sufferings of Christ, they would ensure a resurrection with nearness to him commensurate with their sufferings. Peter, the Apostle Peter, who according to ancient tradition was crucified upside down, wrote, Rejoice to the extent that you are partaker of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. And except for the Apostle John, every faithful apostle was martyred for the sake of Christ. In fact, that kind of martyrdom has pervaded history since Jesus rose from the grave and ascended back to heaven. And it has escalated during the 20th century and has continued at a high level to the present day. We've talked about it here on this program. So how should we then live? That's really the issue. How should we then live? That's actually the title of a series by Francis Schaeffer back in the 1970s, as he began to warn about what was happening in Western culture. Remember that? We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Is it high time for the high sign, that is the sign of Christ's coming? Well, we read from Matthew chapter 24 in the early part of the program today. Let's take a look at Mark chapter 13. 
where Jesus, it's Mark's record of what Jesus said on the Mount of Olives two days before his crucifixion. It's very similar to Matthew 24. Jesus said, Take heed to yourselves, for they're going to deliver you to councils in the synagogues. You shall be beaten. You shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. And by the way, that has virtually occurred already. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak. Don't premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that you will speak, for it is not you that speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus said, Brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son, the children shall rise up against their parents, shall cause them to be put to death. Friends, that's exactly what's happening the spirit of the cancel culture, the hatred that is growing up with a younger generation against their parents, against their grandparents. You can hear it everywhere. That's the spirit of the age. And as we see COVID and the mandate for vaccines taking hold, people are becoming more and more threatening toward those who have firm belief that the vaccine is not safe. And so they're becoming the bad ogres of society. And the object of retribution by many, including their own employers, including their own government, including members of their own families. And this is just the beginning Jesus said, ultimately, you, true followers of Jesus Christ, shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And this is the reason why on this program for years now, we have increasingly upped the ante to encourage God's people to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might not to be swayed, not to be deceived, not to be seduced, but to keep their affections strong on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. That doesn't mean you can't uh, enjoy certain things on the earth. I enjoy things. I enjoy working in the yard. I enjoy landscaping. I enjoy things like that. I enjoy a number of things. But that's not where my ultimate affections are. My ultimate affection, as revealed by my conversation, is on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the message. That's the life message that I want to communicate. My wife and I were talking about that this very very morning and praying uh, that the Lord would continue to use our lives, whether it's in speaking or just the way we live our lives, that we'll speak for such a time as this. But Jesus said, In those days shall affliction be such, and was not for the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time, neither indeed shall be. Wow. 
He talks about more deception, false Christ, false prophets, and so on. Then he goes on to say this, But take heed, behold, I have foretold all things. In those days, after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect for the four winds from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. And in the same way, when you see these things come to pass, know that it is near even at the door. Now, Jesus went on to say, but of that day and that hour no man knows, no, not the angels which were in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. But he said, take heed, watch, and pray, for you know not when the time is. Now, we don't know the day or the hour, but we are supposed to know and understand the season. And if that were not true, why would Jesus have given all of this description? He expected us to understand the general season. Just as you and I can understand as summer begins to wane into fall, fall begins to wane and make its way into winter and so on. We don't have to know the exact day, although many of us do, because we're told Science tells us that occurs on the 20th or 21st day of a particular month. And so we know that's the official day. But what we rely upon is the movement of the seasons, the changing uh, things that we see on the ground. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell us. Look, watch what is happening on the ground and in the spirit of the age and the world. You don't know the day or the hour, but you need to take heed and watch and pray. Why take heed and watch and pray? Because you're preparing. You know that something is around the corner, but you don't know how, far, how long that corner is or how far away the corner is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. So, this is what Jesus says to you and to me. Watch, therefore. For you know not when the master of the house comes, at evening, or at midnight, or at the cock crowing, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And then he concludes in Mark chapter 13, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Maybe that should be the title or a subtitle today on our program. 
watch. 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 On this program, we try to assist God's people to watch and help us all to watch, not putting overemphasis on any particular thing, but to bring it all into a perspective so that we can see the signs of the time. There's a difference between the sign and signs. Jesus gave us many signs, but only one, the sign. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus again is giving his Olivet Discourse. Again, he begins by saying, Take heed that no man deceive you. That's why we wrote the book, Seduction of the Saints, How to Stay Pure in a World of Deception. There's a reason why these books have been written, friends. They're to help and assist God's people in preparing for the very times that Jesus said were coming upon the earth. Seduction of the Saints. If you don't have that book and have not read it, I urge you to do so. It's an $18 book, yours for $15 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Or give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And what other books have we presented to assist God's people in preparing? Well, another was The Secret of the Lord. The Secret of the Lord is with them who fear Him, and to them and them only will He manifest His covenant. Oh, but we've abandoned the fear of the Lord in the land. That has to be recovered, friends in your life, in your family, in your congregation, Mr. Pastor Friend. Yeah. Then, King of the Mountain. The eternal epic and end-time battle. For it is said that he who rules the Temple Mount rules the world. It's a book all about tying together the developments of human history and prophecy that have become congruent, surging inexorably toward the second coming of Jesus Christ to be preceded by the building of a temple on the Temple Mount to which a counterfeit Christ figure will come to declare himself God, King of the Mountain. That also is available for you on the website saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us. Then again, the most recent book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. Why write such a book? Because the scriptures make it plain that we need to be able to identify that person, not by name, but by character and characteristics coupled with actions and decisions that are taking place on the planet. And we have done that and are continuing to do that. Antichrist, 
$22. If you have not read it, you really, really owe it to yourself to read it. It's not about celebrating the Antichrist. It's about preparing you. Because if we're not prepared, you will succumb. You will succumb to the mark of the beast. If you found it very easy to succumb to the vaccination, even though you had a lot of second uh, concerns and questions, just think how easily you'll succumb to the mark of the beast when you will be told you will not be able to buy or sell or conduct business unless you have it. Don't think it won't come in your day. It's coming very quickly. Very quickly, indeed. Jesus went on to say, They shall fail, fall by the edge of the sword. Woe to be to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. For there's going to be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. She'll fall by the edge of the sword, shall be led away captive to all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Friends, that is shifting now on its axis. The time of the Gentiles is nearly over. Then shall be signs in the heaven and the moon and the stars and upon the earth. With perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, Men's hearts failing them for fear for things looking, uh, for those things which are coming upon the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your head, for your redemption draws nigh. That's the encouragement. Lift up your head. For your redemption draws nigh. And in so doing, prepare the way of the Lord in your life for history's final hour. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith to Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.